Hi guys, I'm Rich, one half of Beard and Bear. This is a message recorded on the 19th of June 2020. Due to ongoing revelations in the wrestling industry regarding currently emerging accusations against a number of UK independent WWE, NJPW and AEW wrestlers, we have felt compelled to affix this message to the start of our archived content. We have chosen to keep our archive content as is, for the purposes of transparency. Please be aware that discussions about wrestlers currently embroiled in the ongoing Britress abuse scandal were recorded before these revelations came to light. If you wish to hear our views on these accusations before you continue to listen to our archived content, please feel free to search for hashtag speaking out on our anchor.fm forward slash jfabe profile. In addition, on the back of recent protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, like everyone should, we have checked our privileges in context of what we have learned, particularly regarding sensitivity and microaggressions. I have discussed our past content with multiple people of various different races, creeds, religions, sexualities, genders um, from across our society, and feel some of it may not best reflect our views as they are currently held. However, This podcast has been left as it was originally released. Some opinions are kayfabe and are given by parody characters or personas that do not reflect the present views of Rich or Jay or the actors portraying them. Listener discretion is advised. Everything you hear from this point on is what was released on the original day of publishing. Thank you very much. Beard and bear, beard and bear. Beard and bear, beard and bear, beard and beard and bear, forever. Our podcast usually mixes comedy, caricature and sketches in order to talk about wrestling and the wider social implications of wrestling. Due to recent events happening in America and the rest of the world, Rich, Jay and our extended cast have had to talk about how the satire and parody we create is produced and whether right now is the right time for a product that blends fiction and reality in the way that we do it. As a result of these conversations, we've agreed that comedy and satire and parody should have no limits and we're happy with the body of work we have produced so far. However, we've also realised and acknowledged that comedy and meaningful satire is about timing and given what is happening in the world right now, sometimes you can make a bigger statement with what you don't say than what you do. Black Lives Matter. If you can't make that statement without adding an if or but or a caveat, we don't want you listening to the show. Police brutality and institutionalised inequality need to end, and the domination and deification of slaveholders in our public spaces make those public spaces tools of oppression for a large proportion of the population. That is unacceptable. Our wider cast, the retardist crew like Jesse the Body Ventura, Kota, Taz, Nigel and others have agreed that they say more taking a knee right now than anything we could produce in response. So this is us for the foreseeable until we feel there is space in our world for the satire we used to do on this show. Back to basics, Beard and Bear Power Hour. Thank you for listening. I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling myself. Fuck everyone else. Gotta remember that nobody's better than anyone else here. Look what they do to you, look what they do to me You must be joking if you think that either one is free Here 
Backlash 2020. Rich and Jay, Beard and Bear Power Hour. Beard and Bear's back. We are back. We are kicking it old school for a little while. While the world sorts itself out. Oh, what a lot of stuff which is going down in the world of wrestling. Um, that's a comfortable topic to talk about. Um, I think we've said all we need to say on everything else right now. Ooh, this week was, of course, Backlash. Um, that was on Sunday the 14th. It was held at the WWE Performance Center due to the coronavirus. Um, several different matches, um, many different title matches. One of the more interesting cards of this lockdown, um, I feel, from WWE. Um, I don't know. Jay, Jay, where are you on this? What's what's your thoughts overall? Just, just moving straight in. Again, it was a solid show, but was it just a solid show because it can edit it that way? You know, um, I think it's definitely got a couple of moments which definitely warrant further discussion. Uh, fairly, fairly shortly, <laughs> we're going to go match by match. Um, we're going to talk everything except the pre-show because, like, it's 2020. Who the fuck watches the pre-show? Like, we've got like it's riot footage mind. to watch, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have we have we have Reddit to constantly scroll through whilst going, oh my fucking god, did they? Um, which is is one of my favourite pastimes. Now, Jay, how are you faring, faring with the lockdown? Oh, it's it's good. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm absolutely underwhelmed by every element of my life right now. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's what else can you say? <clears throat> but we're hoping that we're going to be able to entertain you guys and keep the things flowing over. We're going to be back over the next few weeks doing our weekly shows um, we've finally come to a point where we're happy with um, our position and our product um, and we, we kind of have a clear path so that's that's something to look forward to please keep track of us on anchor.fm forward slash jfabe um, we're also available on twitter you can find us on itunes as well twitter addresses I am at not a time duke Jay is I am not a robot the O's in robot are actually zeros it's very clever you can <laughs> get in touch with us there we're quite happy to have a chat with you fuck you Rich <laughs> oh, it all comes flooding back doesn't it all comes flooding back so first match of the night um, I'd also like to thank Jay for this musical choice we'll be talking about um, all the music that you hear today towards the end of the show um, in case you hear something you like and also because we've spent a very long time not crediting anyone and that's kind of uncool um, right then <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't think we did, we did that I thought yeah I don't know why we haven't been doing that to be fair um, you know, I did. I d- it did happen it's their, on. It's their body of work, and we're stealing it. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, to be fair, this Snarflurgian life credit people. So there's that. You know, they credited people, but other than that, no, we haven't credited anyone. Apart even... from Childish Gambino. Childish Gambino, that guy kicks ass, um, and he almost like, yeah. I, that's it's such a good choice though it just works I mean that track is fucking awesome um, 
may hear it later today. Um, in fact, no, we didn't. Because no, you won't. Because I used a different um, thing on the show and light adverts. So never fucking mind. Let's move on. Bailey Banks, Iconics, Bliss, and Cross kicked off this show from the Performance Center. Um, the big build piece in regards to this was of course um the main event between edge and randy orton build as the greatest match ever um we'll definitely be getting onto that um yep, other we'll matches talk about that one later <laughs> indeed other matches um that were billed for this um of course jeff and sheamus um asuka jacks um miz and morrison versus braun Strowman, um lashley um versus drew mcintyre um, private party versus the war experience. Um, wow! <laughs> made it seven minutes. Um, I, they're a very, they're a very, very similar pair of teams. <laughs> they both have red cups. Both have red cups. Their theme is almost identical. Um, like this private is party like, have changed their theme now. It's completely different. No, I meant just their overall theme, as in the thematics of character. Like, right. there is a serious kind of... There's a similarity between them on every level, um, and I'm not going where you're going to say that I'm going when I say but that. But one team is better wrestlers and the other just spot monkeys. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and find out which Jay thinks is which later on today. <laughs> <laughs> Where we talk about their match um, with, of course, um, the war experience. Um, what are they going by now? The war experience. Um, yeah, let's let's say that. <laughs> okay. Cause, yeah, they're not. Are they? All right, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey Banks. Um, they're currently. Are they both the women's tag champions? And also, Bailey is carrying the SmackDown Women's Champion. Is that correct? Yeah, so this is like the storyline they had before, but reversed. Bailey champion, Sasha, tag team champion. Mm. Before before um, Sasha Banks left, we'll say um, she was the champion, wasn't she? Yeah, and then she yeah, yeah. I mean, so um, they're just picking up that storyline basically, but reversing the roles, and that's probably not yeah. a bad idea, especially considering that it's very predictable when Sasha Banks has the title. Um, what her priorities are going to be um, and that's fine because those decisions are rooted in her character but definitely considering that Bailey is spending um, her first long run as a heel um, and I, I might say doing some absolutely fantastic work now that the dust has settled on it as far as she I'm is. concerned she's definitely grown into that role very very well really really well um, I think that reversal is really interesting um, and probably my favourite part of the because of course they're against the Iconics and Bliss and Cross the first thing I really want to mention is that the when the build was alright but when they introduced um, when they introduced Sasha Bailey was interviewed um, while that happened and I thought that was a really good way to kind of break it up a bit um, I don't know if you, you like that um, but I certainly I wish they'd used tricks like that a little bit more just hold my belt oh okay <laughs> well this looks nice <laughs> yeah no, don't fix upon that 
yeah um it just kind of worked really nicely um and of course alexa bliss and cross now i believe alexa bliss is riding the coattails of nikki cross um in regards to becoming a face um i that's my feelings on this in that alexa bliss is the kind of character who shouldn't really be a face um and definitely going to be going more into that um, later on because there's a few spots that I thought were quite interesting um, and a good indication as to why she shouldn't be a face. Um, any other thoughts before we ring the bell on this match and just kind of talk about the action? Uh, no, let's jump straight in. Okie dokie. Um, so interesting one is um, is it Billy Kay? Is that her name? Billy Kay is one of them. Excellent. Peyton Royce cool. is the other. Um, yeah, so Billy Kay and Bailey. Um, Billy Kay and Bailey um, teamed up on Cross um, fairly early on. I, sorry, I just wasn't familiar with the Iconics individual names because they're just so iconic that I forget everything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so th- those two teaming up on Cross early on was really nice because um, for me who doesn't follow um, this particular division on TV every week um, because I don't really watch Smackdown or Raw I thought that was a really good way to establish who the who the good guys were um, who the faces were, who the heels were um, because obvious, it's obvious that Bailey's a heel anyway um, the format of this match well, go on. all three teams at the same time that was it was much better than, to see that than having two in and then two on the outside and having to tag in it was it was much yeah. more fluid that way i mean visually i felt that that's a much more fluid kind of thing um and it's to be fair it's a testament to um particularly alexa bliss um bailey banks and nikki cross um no comment on the iconics that they could um structure a match like this um because triple threats are notoriously hard to structure um three people in the ring is very hard to structure um adding that you've got a tag team format to that as well which means you can't use the standard wwe hope spot and um you know kind of face beat down kind of element as much hot tags hot tags yeah um i think that it was actually fairly well put together um especially in Mm. the early uh, especially well i went in thinking this is a puzzling choice for a match format and then when i actually saw it in motion i thought actually no it's the right right choice to have made no no absolutely it definitely was the right choice to make i was pleasantly surprised yeah. when i saw it i was just like yes finally <laughs> they realized <laughs> they realized this is the best way forward like, fuck for that yeah that's fair um so i was mentioning earlier um bliss um bliss being a face so you get this kind of beat down going on between bailey and um with bailey and billy k billy k is actually the person who um attacks bailey first which to be fair is character wise that's consistent because she's the rookie in comparison to um bailey and bailey would keep um such a thing going on until it was no longer disadvantageous whereas billy k tried to take advantage the moment she could um which against a wrestler with as with the pedigree of bailey at this point and especially in the women's division is is kind of a stupid bimboish kind of move to make so from a character perspective i i totally liked that um but this allowed bliss to get on top 
what Bliss then does is a chain of Luthez prezes um, and kind of crossbody stuff like that. The problem I'm having with her is that she's doing the firing on all cylinders that WWE has been using um, as a staple for faces since the Attitude Era um, when it comes to kind of hope rally pieces like this. Alexa Bliss does not have the weight to carry that type of spot convincingly. So what you end up with is a load of soft landings um, and kind of what what should be a hard-hitting rally, um, kind of looking a little bit weak. And I think this is ultimately the biggest problem with Bliss as a face, is that her moveset, when you put her in a standard face moveset, it's kind of weak. Any thoughts, Jay? I quite enjoyed what Alex Bliss was doing. To be fair, in the ring, it was quite fresh for her into what um, she was doing before. Um, but she does fit a heel persona much better, mm. promo-wise and wrestling-wise, and being able to control the match. She's yeah. better at doing that than being a face. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, ultimately... <sighs> It's it's kind of the first match of the card. Have you got uh, anything to say about this match in particular, or or did you feel it was fairly by the numbers overall? No, I enjoyed this match, and the MVP of the match was Sasha Banks. Yeah, that's fair. The things she was doing on she was barely in the ring, but the things she was doing on the outside made the match. Knocking people yeah. off the aprons, where she came in and she saved Bailey, and then came in again and did the knee in the face that the Iconics was going to do to Bailey. She saved Bailey so many times, and this is where it's going to going to become in the storyline. That's what she's going to be thinking. She is the tag team champions, and she should be the women's champion. And yeah, that's that makes where sense. That's going to come in. I think that that's makes sense. What's going to happen? I mean, it was clear um, from what you were saying, and um, I definitely wrote this down and not just riding your coattails now on the point you've just made um, it was clear <laughs> that Banks was the person that needed to get over here um, and kind of that that burgeoning kind of conflict between Bailey and Banks oh, was really the... definitely worked she was all over the shop, it was great yeah it was she's proven, just proved her worth completely yeah, I mean, she continuously does prove her worth, obviously. Um, she, she's done that for years, but definitely in this situation, um, you're absolutely right. Um, she really was the star of the show. Um, and I don't think, I don't know, the, the end kind of frustrated me. It was Twisted Bliss um, with an underwhelming intercept and roll-up from Banks. Um, from Banks. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, not from Banks. Was it Bailey? It was Banks. No, it was Banks, yeah. Um, yeah. It was an underwhelming intercept and roll-up, um, and I say it was underwhelming because the match was building to a crescendo, and then it was almost... Um, there was the opportunist kind of thing going from Banks, but I felt that was a little bit underplayed, um, and the crowd were not particularly that excited, so it felt like it had a little, a little <laughs> bit of a lacklustre reaction. Um, I don't know if you felt that. Was it the first match? I mean, they got louder as it went on. 
Yeah, I'm wondering actually if if WWE are like because we've discussed this about um, privately between us about the about this audience. This is really my first non NXT pay per view um, where there is um, where there is this kind of WWE Vince McMahon crony kind of audience, and I'm under the impression that they're told to build the volume as the show goes on, um, which is fine. But you you end up with no organic build of. Um, stars as a result like if these people just went out and reacted i have a feeling though that these guys um because they're all nxt stars um well they're all nxt performance center trainees as it were um you know they're all being basically paid an nxt trainee wage to stand on the sidelines Uh, they're all actual wrestlers though or hopeful wrestlers and i have a feeling that they're probably present at the they're probably present at the rehearsals and I would say that Vince McMahon's probably sat there telling them exactly how to react um, and approving chants. Yeah, no, I think I said to you that I completely agree with what you're saying there. Mm. It wouldn't, um, wouldn't surprise me at all. That's the kind of guy Vince is. He wants you to cheer for certain people. He doesn't want people to have their own minds. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to do a bit about this, but then I couldn't be bothered. But, yeah. Uh, is entirely my. I, I I was disappointed with the overall lack of character development um, here from everyone except Bailey and Banks. Um, but then this is a match to get them over. Um, it very, felt very much by the numbers, um, particularly in Bliss and Crosses and the Iconics case. Um, but overall, I watched this match and felt it was a good match, but it wouldn't have been out of place on SmackDown. It was a placeholder match. placeholder match yeah of the two teams there was nothing to do with them mm. it was um, it was all about Sasha Banks and Bailey. You, yeah. you could see that with throughout the match going forward then um, what would you say with all of these teams um, what's what's in the future for them just a quick prediction SummerSlam Sasha Bailey. yeah um, I mean this cross I don't see them breaking up anytime soon and mm. I see the Iconics beating Sasha and Bailey again and getting the titles out of their getting hands. Getting the titles, yep. Um, in order for those two to disintegrate, as it were, post-extreme rules. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a fairly fairly standard kind of, a fairly logical kind of play. Um, after that, we cut to Braun Strowman, um, and I, I felt like I was watching a... Um, 1970s Ron Howard film um, because he was parking the hell out of that um, Grand National like he like literally we got to see him pull in we got to see him slowly reverse it we got to see we got to see the camera slowly pan and follow it the actual screen time there was about um, was about 12 to 25 million years um, so it was really, really broke up the action quite nicely. The only real shame is that um, it didn't show the back of the car because if it did show the back of the car and Michael Cole had his fucking reading glasses on, he might realise that it's not a Plymouth Grand National. It's, in fact, a 1987 Buick Grand National, um, which two different companies, Cole. Work it out, mate. Work it out. It, I mean, it's only the major prop in the build to the one of the title matches of the actual fucking card. I don't know why I'm so bad at this, Jay. I don't. I don't know. 
<laughs> but really really annoy me. <laughs> really annoy me. <laughs> Just get the car right. <laughs> it's a Buick. Why it's can't you do it? <laughs> oh, dear Fuck me. you, Colt. Get off the TV. Um, I imagine interest- that's what you said. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, interesting facts about the Buick Grand National before we move forward. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> here we go. Um, its current Blue Book price is listed at $165,000. Um, the reason that I want to point that out is that when it was originally sold, it will have been sold for the equivalent in then money of about six grand. Um, it well, is whilst you're hot- telling the lovely audience about the car, I will be back in two seconds. Okie dokie. It is the highest. Um, it is the highest growing. Well, the tenth highest growing in value car there ever was. Um, after this, of course, Extreme Rules was advertised. Um, now that's going to be July the nineteenth. July the nineteenth um, is. Oh, about four weeks away. Um, we're planning on doing Beard and Bear, um, and we're going to be doing Beard and Bear Power Hour after every NXT, AEW, and WWE pay per view. So on a good, on a good month, um, that will be um, one or two. Kind of on a really bad month, that's going to be three. Um, we don't know where we're going to sit with New Japan Pro Wrestling when that starts up because last year we were doing um, New Japan Pro Wrestling, AEW, um, NXT, and there was there was literally last July and Progress as well. There was literally a period last July where we did um, I think it was four recordings a week for about six weeks and it was one of the most hectic schedules that I've ever fucking had in my entire life Um, like so we're going to try and take it a bit slower this time guys (laughs) so we're hoping that ideally you get what one pay-per-view a month from WWE um, and then every other month you're probably going to get one from NXT or one from AEW which means um, in that extra kind of slot in between those pay-per-views, we could probably do a Beard and Bear Retro Hour or a Beard and Bear Indie Hour where we select a random indie show and kind of do that. Um, but the theme around Beard and Bear will always be to focus on one show, um, whereas Showing Light, obviously, is our show that we do regularly and every single week. That is going to feature, of course... Um, our usual kind of mix of NXT versus AEW. We're also going to be looking at how the Wednesday Night Wars are playing off and going through the news, um, hopefully kind of preparing you for SmackDown. So just to recap for Jay, who who totally didn't just go to the bathroom at all um, yeah. while I was talking. <laughs> um, Sorry. Ext- <laughs> no, it's all good. Extreme Rules um, advertised after this for July 19th. The one interesting thing I wanted to mention in regards to the power, um, in regards to Extreme Rules, other than the power hour that we'll be doing um, on the following Tuesday, is the interesting use of yellow and purple rather than blue and red in the iconography for that. Um, obviously WWE has a yellow brand and a purple brand um, but then usually for its mainline pay-per-views you get kind of red and blue is there what are your thoughts on that decision is it just kind of WWE trying something different do you think Jay or is it do you think that moving into extreme rules there could be space for um, some NXT and um, and 205 kind of stuff uh, I think you may be reading too much into it. 
Um, I would. The thing is, the thing is, Jay. I would be re- reading too much into it if black and red hadn't been used for every third tier event that WWE have done since about two thousand and four. They haven't got a black brand. Sorry, blue and red. But my point is, is that it's almost always blue and red, and then this one instance, it's it's purple and yellow. I. And and that kind of got me thinking, like extreme rules like is this using the WrestleMania one. sign and just rehashing it. But why would you do that with extreme rules in particular? Maybe like you just have the color scheme. I don't know. The color scheme to me is unusual. Um, I'm hoping that my hunch is I right. I might right. be completely wrong. <laughs> I hope um, you're right. But my thoughts are right. Extreme rules is a variety show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the idea is that Extreme Rules kind of covers a, a, a large proportion of different and varied kind of non-standard matches. So why the hell not make it a variety show that covers all of those acts? Um, I I very much am hoping that's the case, even if it's just a Cruiserweight title match that's on a main card. and um, Karrion you know, the- Cross versus Adam Cole, baby. Yeah, and then just stick a NXT UK title match in there and just have extreme rules across all three brands. Um, all five brands, sorry. That would be ideal for me. Um, I, do, I do want to talk about Karrion Cross, but I'll, I'll save that for our next podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I know you've got some thoughts on Karrion Cross. I, one and thing Cody. I didn't. <laughs> and Cody. Um, one thing that I did like about Karrion Cross in regards to. Um, in your house, by the way, was I like I like how things turn black and white um, whenever he's in the ring. That kind of makes his matches feel a little bit special. I don't like um, his entrance though. His entrance is, feels a little bit overblown, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. And you know what? You know how I feel about theatrics, Jay. You fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. Um, so, build as far as I'm aware, it's a two-week job, wasn't it? Uh yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, um so basically it's fairly fucking simple story. The old Jeff tale. Hardy <laughs> Yeah. Jeff Hardy's um Jeff Hardy's Redemption um, story. Been arrested three times for being drunk in public places and also doing embarrassing things in mm. public places, as well as historically was well known for turning up to his matches fucked out of his guard. Um yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. That. Ooh. <laughs> that was that was an embarrassment. We need to watch that pay per view one day. Um, oh, I'm down for that. It's great until you get to that match. <laughs> <laughs> until you get to that bit. Well, it's all right. It's, it's I, I, right, I have a feeling that we've. I have a feeling that because um, I was mentioning earlier to um, to our audience that uh, um, we were thinking of maybe doing some retro hours as well um, on months that are like on pay per views. Um, and I, I, I have a feeling that a vast, a vast amount of our wrestling kind of repertoire is has kind of been ignored by this show for too long. We have we've never had to talk about Eric Bischoff on this show. We've never had to talk about Rob Van Dam on this show. We've never had to talk about um, Extreme Rules or Paul Heyman to a large degree. Um, I do have some thoughts on Paul Heyman later, but we'll get back to that. And I feel that maybe we should do some more retro stuff, so perhaps that would be a good place to start, um, especially I'm considering that... more than happy I'll be, to talk about TNA. <laughs> well, I'll be discovering a lot of it for the first time, so maybe it is an interesting mm. thing. I can think That'll of the really theme good, song now. Yeah, so I watched like I watched it religiously. 
I didn't so, watch much of it. So all I know is that there was um, that Christopher Daniels um, did something with an X division, whatever that is, and <laughs> with an X division. <laughs> oh, wow. And at some point, <sighs> the ring got really weird. A six-sided ring was just greatest. It was just, and then and then there was six years of Jeff Jarrett. It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> yeah, but like, wasn't the one night where he was like in every match? No, just in a different outfit. Like That's one one match, he, one match he had a mustache. <laughs> the next match he was wearing a referee outfit. Another match he was a commentator. That sounds like Jeff Jarrett. Sounds like. <laughs> You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's just the impression I got. Every time I turned on the wrestling channel when I was a kid, there he was, Jeff Jarrett, just wandering around with his guitar, doing the same shtick he was Ooh, ten years before. Lightning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, is it um, stormy? Yeah. Nice. Um, so, anyway... Um, Back to the old story, Jeff um, Jeff Hardy. <laughs> um, well, sorry, somebody in Jeff Hardy's car runs over Elias. Um, everyone blames Jeff Hardy. Um, Gets arrested. Then, Again. yep. Then the following week, Jeff Hardy goes by that standard um, storytelling medium. Well, that standard storytelling idea of telling everyone instead of showing them and saying that it was probably Seamus. Um, with absolutely no fucking reference as to how he got that information it at all. Um, then Seamus comes down the aisle, forces him to have a piss test, um, and is um, Jeff Hardy throws the piss in Seamus's face before it can get tested, and then somehow gets the match. Um, and that's that's what happened. That is what happened. So the piss spot, I feel in this build is a little bit played out like whenever i see this or dog food or the tr- the classic quadruple s you know the spirit squad shit spot um i see vince mcmahon kind of tossing him like in my head vince mcmahon <laughs> sat there tossing himself off watching it whilst eating tuna and jizzing in the face of some groveling indie cro- contractor like that's <laughs> that's how i see it what are your thoughts jay what if he just jizzes on the tuna and then... No, I won't go that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then gives it to Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> who knows uh, what's in it, but gladly eats it anyway. Pretty much. <laughs> so what do you think to the match? <laughs> I, I fucking loved this. it. I loved this match. I yeah. thought it was the best I've seen Seamus and Jeff Hardy in a long time. It was, it was fucking fantastic. So, so you have the... He, Jeff Hardy was yeah. playing more of the underdog, and then you've got the mm. the broader and Sheamus, who controlled mm. most of the match, because obviously yeah, he's got to come back somehow. So he's got to lose his first match in an Extreme Rules. End up, mm. I've given the underway, but um, <laughs> that's cool. But it was a solid wrestling match. It really was. Um, one of my favourite spots in regards to this um, was Jeff Hardy being dropped on the ring post with his knee. Um, I, I didn't quite catch the angle of it, um, even in the replays, because the camera work was fairly good. It, it concealed it quite well, but it made one hell of a fucking sound um, when he did. Um, it was a really effective spot, and they followed it up with some classic... What Are they, are they on Raw or SmackDown? They are on SmackDown, but it reminded me more of a Shawn Michael Triple H kind of... Mm. I mean, kind the, of match. the... 
Yeah, the the sell job was because I've got to wonder who booked it because the sell job was perfect because of course he he goes down injured like this and then um, there's a Death Valley driver into a um, into a tornado DDT reversal and Hardy falls straight onto his back from trying to reverse this and can't put weight on his foot and that's the first time that he was given the opportunity to put weight on his foot and immediately. That sold the second act of the entire match to me. Um, you know, Seamus laying into Hardy, damaging him, attacking him, um, while Hardy is basically helpless. It was completely well put together. Um, it felt organic. Um, it almost felt as organic as the completely organic, not at all proved by Vince McMahon chant of you're in trouble um, from the fans which would have been funny in 1992. Um, however, it just felt really personality-less um, hearing fans like... I just, I just don't know. I, I, that, those fucking, that fucking crowd, I feel so sorry for those indie wrestlers being made to stay there. They got a fucking free lesson with that one, with those two in the ring, in that match. They really did. They really did. Storytelling-wise, yes. Yeah. Some of the best um, storytelling, like, like you said, like... yeah. Within WWE, I mean, in like what the last five years, I think, apart from definitely um, Champa and Gagano, but yeah. SmackDown um, for, a, for a single match, for a single match, kind of fifteen twenty minutes, this was a great, really well paced piece of work. Um, I mean, Sheamus uh, throughout the second act, Sheamus punishes Hardy for what seems like longer than it takes me to record an Xmas special. Um, Hope spot with um, a TOF and a Swanton. A twist of fate, that is, for those of you in the know. Um, Seamus got his foot on the rope um, and bro kicked him um, to really kind of pummel him and get that win. Um, yeah, so it was with the, the barrier walk into the bro kick mm. and then back into yeah. the ring. Bro kick mm. again. You're not getting up, mate. You, you're done. That's yeah. it. Uh, it's it's done a great job on Sheamus because it's it's um, really sold Sheamus, um, and I was hoping Sheamus would come back uh, and really make a bit more of an impact because I I don't feel he's as far gone as Cesaro um, in regards to never being in the title picture again. No, not after that match. <laughs> no, um, not in any way, shape, or form. I mean, going forward. I do see them both going into the title picture. It's just which title picture they'll be going into. So Sheamus probably going to be having another match with Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy will probably win that match. Mm. But that'll be extreme rules. But I do see Jeff Hardy going to the IC title picture. Yeah. I do see, oh. see Sheamus going into the WWE title picture. Well, the universal title picture, shall I say. Mm. Um, but with the IC, with... Um, AJ Styles holding it. I think I've said this before, but it's like, are we finally going to get the match that we want from AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy? And after Jeff Hardy's performance in that match, even though he got his ass kicked, obviously it's kayfabe. I'm going to say yeah. The, the Hardys, um, like this is this is a really interesting thought on the Hardys because I mean, when we when we look at the Hardys, um, they are. Um, I'm just trying to get their exact age. What kind of age do you put them on, just as a guess? Um, Jafardi. Like, yeah. 48. 48. Okay, Um So... Seamus would be a bit younger, would be... 
Um, actually, forty-two. Forty-two is Jeff Hardy. Okay. Um, whereas Matt Hardy, the older of the two, forty-five. Um, oh, the one okay. thing, the one. So Matt's forty-five, and and Jeff is Jeff is forty-two. What's so interesting about these guys is they wrestle like they're still thirty-five and thirty-two um, at times, and I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering if part of that is because I know this sounds a little bit risque for me to say i'm wondering if it's because the amount of time they spent not wrestling to the best of their ability due to other um vices as it were has actually allowed their bodies to heal a bit more i mean i'm not saying drugs are good and make you wrestle better in older later life because that's definitely not always the case but considering they do a high risk style and there's definitely been a period of time for both of them where they've not been able to do that I'm wondering if that's maybe potentially why they're so physically vital. And obviously hard work and dedication. Yeah, Jeff Hardy doesn't do this one to one anymore unless it's pay for you. If it's any other show, we'll just do a twist of fate to finish because his back's that messed up. Mm, Reportedly. He's he's so he's kind of limiting himself, yeah, which he's, to be fair at forty two I'm I wouldn't think about it, their bump card's high for their age. Yeah, of I mean, it's probably expired by now. They're still going. Mm. Mm. So yeah, for me, Sheamus really needed this win, um, and I'm hoping this is the start of a rise for him. He deserves a good run. Um, I'm I'm 100 behind him. I I missed his first run, um, but I've gone back and watched it and thought that he did some really really good work with it. Um, Jeff Hardy seems to currently be sitting in that bubbling under journeyman spot um that matt hardy was earmarked for except the big difference is vince likes jeff so he's gonna win and he's allowed to fight back (laughs) (laughs) the major difference (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's the blonde one (laughs) yeah that's that's how he decides do you think he picks it out of a hat and the boost of jeff hardy yeah yeah. (laughs) 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 both they both just say the blonde one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how he does all the tag teams <laughs> Jeff Hardy and the blonde one <laughs> uh, dearie. Um, after this of course 2k Battlegrounds um, the latest game from THQ was it or 2k or whatever they're called anyway it is t- t- um, 2k who have it um, the latest wrestling game from them um, seems to have completely avoided the 2k20 controversy by just discontinuing that entire series and it's probably about time because um, wwe 2k20 was an absolute bag of wank have you ever seen the videos of wwe 2k20 and the glitches it had yep i'm very happy i got the game after that was sorted out yeah that's probably a good idea actually um the the they seem to be going for a year-long break and going into um, glitches glitches of them like walking as they're bent down or sinking into the ring duck walking and sinking into or the ring being yeah. two pages for no reason whatsoever <laughs> yeah or just disappearing or their face skin not coming up um, yeah. not appearing and stuff like that it was just really badly put together um and this is what happens when you rush out a sports franchise over and over again so this year it looks like they they've gone for 2k battlegrounds which um advertised appears that we're not sponsored by this by the way i just wanted to get jay's thoughts um it appears to be one of those it's it's got a chibi style, which is you know the small kind of. Originally, I thought no, it was no, no. everyone. You throw some out the ring and they eat you by an alligator. I mean, yeah. What's that? 
it's cartoon style. It's like the 2K wrestling equivalent of Mario Kart, I suppose. Um, loads of loads I don't of like All-Stars either. Not a big fan of All-Stars either. So you're not a big fan. You like your wrestling games to be simulations rather than arcade. Yeah, simulations kind of stuff. arcade, yeah. Yeah, um, that's fair. Unless I, it's I, like retro arcade, then that's fine. Mm. Um, I still think that the biggest promise for a wrestling game at the moment is probably going to be um, AEW's because it's it's assumed that they're going to go with the AKI um, engine that was um, utilised on the N64 wrestling games um, and that will be very exciting if that is what happens with them um, but all in all I don't know I, I think that any if as long as this is as long as this new 2K game is produced as well as a Mario Kart when it comes to say polish and stuff I don't yeah. trust it will be because it's 2K but it will be miles better than 2K20 as a result um, anyway moving on moving on I just thought that was a really interesting well, I, one of... 2K, I don't know anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, well because they can monetize it I I guarantee that whatever they produce after Battlegrounds, Battlegrounds is just going to be an intermediate, but the model that they'll be demanding moving forward will be very similar to the other um, 2K Sports titles, which will be a case of the online mode, you have to um, pay physical money for a slot machine that tells you what your wrestler is. Guarantee it. I'm looking forward to it. I might just buy it. See what and then buy it again and again and again and again and again after, after uh, like in the multiplayer mode. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, buy it once, but then <laughs> but then pay for the individual wrestlers because they're all they're all in loot boxes like Fortnite. Oh. That'll be what it is. Right. Guarantee that'll be what happens. That's anyway, um, crap. On to the next I, match with the what best commentary team in WWE at the moment. Go for it. Joe Phillips and Saxon, or just Joe and Phillips. Oh. <laughs> Joe's <That's> fire. <laughs> Joe is all over it. He knows what he's yeah. doing. He, he's talking he about. He, he's obviously been in the ring, but he puts it across in such a way that the way he tells a story is just adding to that one match. He mm. knows what he's doing. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. No, no. I fucking love Joe. Oh, fair play, fair play. Um, it was just sheer overemphasis of the word fire. Um, I personally didn't have any opinion on the commentators. I didn't even know they changed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the difference. There's no Michael Cole. <laughs> oh yeah, but usually, usually, like if there is no Michael Cole, then like um, it's I can't hear anything because it's like my head's under the warm bath. And I'm just listening to the bubbles of the hot tub. Like, my ears watching wrestling without Michael Cole in it are just in heaven. So I just focus <laughs> on that. I'm like, oh, there used to be a really loud corporate nagging in the background. And that's not there anymore. So I'll enjoy the silence. I'll listen to the commentary that's not happening right now. Rather than listening to the commentary that's replaced Michael Cole. <laughs> Asuka and Jax, what did you think to the build? Oscar, I can't. I can't I've always got to correct you, Oscar. <laughs> Asuka. Yeah, Oscar. Ask what, what, what her name is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, um, what do you think to the build to this? Um, 
to be honest. I'm not too sure of the build, but I do know that that Jax may have smashed Kairi Sane into the into some stairs, which was quite controversial online. Yeah, I've I've missed Nia Jax and her washing ability. And, and, I I just like I just like how when Nia Jax is in the roster, you kind of every single time you read any kind of news report with her name in it, immediately you start fearing for the safety of every other woman in the company until you find out who she's injured. Because you just don't know who it's going to be. It's like a lottery. It, what Nia Jax is the it's wrestling like equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> Nia Jax is the wrestling equivalent of. Having a wheel of fortune, you're putting a female wrestler on each one, and whoever it lands on just gets a chainsaw dropped on their head. That's what Nia Jax is. She is the she is the wrestling equivalent of a wheel of death. Russian roulette Nia Jax. That's what they should call her. And that comes off the back of her saying that Ronda Rousey was unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me, that's brilliant. ridiculous. Absolutely um, brilliant. So, all in all, I'm pleased to see Nia Jax back, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, I, I think I may have a hatred of women. No, um, <laughs> no I think I may just... I, I, I like the controversy that follows her, um, and I like that she's incorporated that into a style um, to some degree, because there are kind of... period that I have seen her intentionally perform moves in a way that looks unsafe um, in order to keep that heel controversy up. I don't know whether that's the right way to be doing things when it is somebody like Nia Jack. She's the, she's the physical equivalent of a fucking tank on steroids. She, Yeah, but she does have a heart. You know, she is a human at the end of the day. She spoke about online about a mental battle um, after she broke uh, Beckinger's nose. Oh really uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I mean, I, lo- I bet she did feel really, really bad about it. I, 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 in fact, no, she's the victim in that story. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> so, so Asuka comes out of the gate hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she gets worn down by Nia Jax. Yeah, because she's the bigger, stronger. Competitor, yeah, but with Oscar, she has the ability to be absolutely anybody. So she's always going to bring those kicks. She's always she's always got a plan in mind. Mm, that's fair. Um, okay, you babe. go with your notes. We'll go with your notes. Oh, all right. Um, so a big batch, a big moment in the match. I was just going to change into my shorts. It's really hot in here, but it's fine. Um, a big moment in the match was um, a zip cord from Nia that was reversed by Asuka um, into a guillotine, um, which in turn was reversed into a deadlift jackhammer. Um, I feel WWE are missing a trick here, not calling that the Jack's hammer. What are your thoughts, Jay? Good call. Yeah, Jack's hammer. Um, all in all, what do you, what, have you got any description of the structure of this match? Because mostly I'm just I've I've just written down spots. Um, I don't really have much spots. I didn't realise we were doing that kind of stuff. No, but... no, I, I, no, no. I, I, I've just written down a brief, a brief kind of highlights kind of thing for me. But do you have you? What did you think to the structure of this match? Because I'm I was a bit lacking. I was I was doing something in the 
in the corner of my eye as I was going. Right. So, um, <laughs> this match, it was your standard big competitor versus smaller competitor. So you had kind Nia Jax... nibbling away and... Yeah, so Nia Jax controlling most of the match and using her power and her, and her strength advantage to, to ground Oscar. But the, you know, whiny Oscar has a way of getting around and really smashing does. people's faces in. So that's kind of what happened. Yeah, um, I mean, the end of the match was a double count out. Um, Asuka getting a bit of a tweener victory there, who's um, she's one of the only female characters who can get away with that. Um, I can't tell what she is, um, and I kind of think she's a tweener at the moment. She plays some moments as face and some moments as heel, and without an audience, an, a, a, a genuine audience reaction to kind of allow me which way to go, I'm quite happy with her sitting in that middle space at the moment. Um Definitely leaves this open for a rematch down the line. Um, well, yeah, extreme 50... rules. It's gonna, the, yeah. Way, the way I see it going is uh, it's going to be uh, pin, okay, sorry, pinfalls anywhere, whatever it's called. Mm. Match. Yeah, I um, think that's what it's going to be because it got counted out, so it would just be one of those. Um, yeah, but we're seeing Oscar of old, and that's what I yeah, like about are. this match. We're yeah, seeing the kick-ass fair. Oscar that can defeat anybody. And yeah, they need, and to, move, they need that, to move forward with that. They really do, especially while Kairi Sane um, is potentially injured, um, or kayfabe injured, I'm not sure which. Um, oh, she's got me, stitches in her head. Well, yeah, there, <clears> there you go. <laughs> so she's probably got a little bit of time um, on the concussion bench while they while they figure out what she can, what she can still do um, for the foreseeable. Okay. Um, I mean, for me, this kind of match is good. 50-50 um, booking is fine, um, but the kind of indecisive nature of this finish was the only real disappointment to me. Yeah, even um, at the end, there was I a did... really bad one-arm swing bomb into the into the barrier. That was weak. Yeah, that was very weak. But overall, um, it was a fairly solid match. Um, I feel that women were fairly um, underrepresented um, at this pay-per-view overall, um, just because of the, the... I mean, there were two matches, and they were both solid matches, but there wasn't a real Force standout. Count anywhere. Um, Why can't I think of that earlier? That's what they're going to have at Extreme Rules. I can see it coming. That would make sense. Um, but yeah, no, um, very looking. I am actually. I came out of this looking forward to the inevitable um, Force Count Anywhere match that comes out of this. So no, completely in agreement. Um, after this, MVP does a piece to the camera, um, and then there is a plug for Green Day. Jay, did you know Green Day was still going? They do that thing where they do stuff. <laughs> Green Day, who the fucking? Their last album was terrible. Don't listen to yeah. it. Yeah, how do they sound? How do they manage to sound both younger and more irrelevant every single album? Or would you? Because like, <laughs> I, I, th- yeah, I guess that's it. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's time we took a quick break. Um, are you feeling that break? Yeah. Let's yeah, I'm going to stick the... my aircon on for kind of ten minutes. Okay, um, and. And my aircon, and then just every leak. And um, yeah, you guys listen to this this awesome advert. Yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah, and we'll be back in a moment. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hey, guys, it's me, Rich. Thanks for listening to the Beard and Bear Power Hour at anchor.fm forward slash jfabe. Me and Jay have been working hard at our day jobs over the last few months due to the recent coronavirus outbreak, so we want to thank everyone for sticking with us during this difficult time. 
please feel free to get in touch on Twitter at not a time joke for me or at I am not a robot that's robot spelt with zeros for Jay um, going forward we'll be dropping episodes of the Power Hour after every forthcoming WWE NXT and AEW pay-per-view at 7pm Eastern on the Tuesday following along with other special episodes to be announced. We'll also be producing our Showing Light podcast on the anchor.fm forward slash jfabe channel every Friday, so please keep an eye out for that. Um, That should be from this Friday onwards. There we talk NXT and AEW, along with the Wednesday Night Wars. want to thank you again for all continuing to listen to us, and we're looking forward to what the future holds. And we are back um, with Backlash 2020 Breakdown. Miz and Morrison versus Braun Strowman. Jay, where to begin with this one? It's a fucking Buick, mate. So what, this is all came around because they don't think Braun Strowman deserves to be champion. Yeah, um... So, I mean, Miz and Morrison, obviously, going to be a bit of a spoiler, but they win, at least with their music video. Um, For me, that's it. Go home, everyone. Miz and Morrison have gone from irrelevant to the best in under two minutes with the fucking music video that they play at the start of this. It was great. (laughs) Um, Seriously, thoroughly enjoyed that segment. I thought it was a really good use of my time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I don't know why I liked it so much. It was really cheesy. It was really stupid. Uh, but I thought that was a really good spot. Um, it didn't sound like Morrison had much auto-tuned compared to The Miz as well. That doesn't surprise me. Um, but, I mean, you've got to ask, is that like a character decision? or Because, I mean, The Miz can probably sing. You know, so I'm wondering whether I'm wondering whether they were just like, oh well, the Miz would auto tune the fuck out of his voice because it's the Miz, of course he would, you know. <laughs> but um, this is my first um, instance that I've seen the Braun Strowman train thing. What's going on with that? The Strowman Braun Express. Braun Strowman Express. Yeah. He's a he's a train and he'll run right through you. Hmm. <laughs> I don't like That's it. What I get from it, I don't like it either. <laughs> I think it's stupid as well. Um, so the Strowman Express <laughs> ridiculous so early match was pretty much quick tag back and forth between Miz and Braun was especially good as the slow chipping away became less and less effective um, Miz was especially scared in how he portrayed himself um, looked really good and um, obviously the logical storyline here was for um, the quick tags between the tag team to slowly break down um due to um one or more of the team being unavailable um that came to that came into play about kind of four or five minutes in when the Miz was unable to um tag morrison um and then when morrison did finally get back up onto the rope the Miz accidentally struck him with his elbow whilst being thrown into the ropes um really really kind of abc storytelling nicely put together as far as i'm concerned um that's pretty much the only note I've got here. Alright. <laughs> uh, you got any? <laughs> so basically, um, so clearly Strowman's double the size, but they're obviously the veterans. Yeah. And that showed within the match. Yeah, no, that that, that was fairly evident. Which actually, kind of 
does the whole comedy thing really put Strowman over as a credible champion? It's a very difficult question. I really don't think it does. So he's doing all this comedy stuff, and mm. he's this big monster. You should be putting some more credible title picture. Imagine yeah, I, I don't back. know. Is this strictly is this strictly comedy stuff, or is it more kind of insurmountable odds? Kind of, I, I suppose it's not insurmountable odds though, because we all knew it was going to beat them. So yeah, that's fair. You always knew that someone was going to stop someone from pinning. Yeah, but I, I did like the bit where he was like, "Ah, sorry, uh, pin him again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's. <laughs> That's that's fair. I mean, effectively, this this would always devolve into a triple threat, um, and kind of that lack of unity um, would always shut out light. And that's a well informed decision. This felt like an okay placeholder match to me. It's just giving Braun something to do, isn't it? Yeah, um, a Strowman one. I was disappointed with the lack of the fiend. Um, it was pretty much what I wrote. Um, what more is there to say? It was an okay match. It happened. Braun Should we move will on? Move on <laughs> after Extreme Rules. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They'll probably go into Extreme Rules um, with um, maybe this feud, but they don't have to. But if they do go in with this feud, then um, that could be where he faces the actual challenge and you get a substantial match out of it, um, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, I've got nothing else to say about this. This was really by the numbers. Overall, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but Miz and Morrison are absolutely gold together, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're really working well together um, I think it's exactly what Morrison needs um, and I like these tag teams that the Miz ends up in every now and then I mean the fact that the Miz can't be in a tag team about it turning into a feud eventually is also pretty much gold because it always feels fresh when it happens unless Shane McMahon's involved but oh, because nothing Shane McMahon has ever touched feels fresh now um, but <laughs> all that's in all, why he's off TV yeah, all in all, I think having the Miz in with Morrison at the moment is the right place for both of them, and they're clearly showing that they enjoy teaming together um, quite substantially. So, all in all, really, really impressed. Um, it was short, it was sweet, did the job. Um, on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, on to the next one. This, in my opinion is one of the most interesting builds that I've seen in a while. Um, and there's there's a reason for this, because this is the most Heyman-booked angle on this entire show. And um, probably I'm the to, last. Um, probably. Um, but I, I don't know, because for me it was a great piece of booking kind of marred by um, a poor piece of sports entertainment towards the end but um, I just want to um, I just want to give us both a moment to listen to this great anybody who's saying oh this isn't Heyman booking where was all the chairs and stuff Um, so I'm going to play a sample from Paul Heyman appearing on the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast back in on June 1st of 2015 if you're willing to indulge me Um, so let's just cue that up if you take a Mark Henry 
okay? Or someone of Mark Henry's size and, and, and power and strength and obvious strength, and you say, his finish is a headlock. And Mark Henry walks in the ring, right. and he snatches a guy just like this. And he just holds him there. And all of a sudden you just see, I quit, I tap, I quit, I tap. And now, here's the word, no one uses a headlock. No one. If you do, you answer it to him. And you answer to, to, to Vince, you yes. know? Okay. So, no one uses a headlock. And Mark Henry comes out on TV for 26, 27, 28, 30 weeks. Right. Grabs the guy in the headlock. Ah, ah, and the guy's trying to push his way to the headlock. I can't get out, I tap, I tap, he's crushing my skull. Right. I guarantee you within 30 weeks, that's, that's gonna be a finish that people are talking about. Oh man, that headlock, that's, that's a bad move. He could win the world title with that headlock. And at WrestleMania, when somebody powers out of that headlock, it will be one of the Blood biggest the moments place. of the year. Moves will get over as long as people put the move over, get the move over, the announcers react to the move as if it's something devastating and unusual and big, and everybody on the roster is cognizant of protecting it. <laughs> Paul Heyman there, 2015, and the moment I saw this build, I immediately thought back to that interview. Um, I, I, how do you feel about this? Um, do, you, do you feel that that's um, a great example of just classic wrestling booking from Paul Heyman there? Because I certainly do. I really, really like yeah, this no, Yeah, you're right, but I'm getting you relating that to Lashley's for Nelson. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a simple move. Um, it, we haven't seen it for a while. I mean, Chris Masters um, was probably the last person to to do that that well. But I remember watching that back in 2015 and thinking Chris Masters. And again, we're seeing a repeat of that. And but what Lashley does is a body scissor with the full Nelson, mm. which I like quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's just the perfect modification to kind of visually put it up to that next level. Um, yeah. And for me, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Wow, yeah, yeah, that's the uh, move." It is. It's just perfect booking. Um, I, I paid more attention to Lashley as a result of that, and I thought more of Lashley as a result of that piece of booking, just subconsciously, um, than I have in the last ten years of his career. Um, and that just shows you, how important. You say last ten years. Yeah, I actually mean last year. Did 20. you watch the last 10 years of Lashley's career? Because this is the Lashley that I saw in TNA. I, I said this pay is the Lashley it, I, that I've wanted from A1 since he's back in WWE. This is what I've been talking about for so long about I, Lashley. I said pay attention. I didn't say anything else. I, I haven't paid attention to him. I paid attention more to him in this match. Like Immediately that piece of booking has sold him to me um, as what you've been trying to sell, me, sell him to me for the last 10 years um, because it's finally <clears throat> the correct booking for him. Yes. And um, I never... I, I suppose... I always felt he was a bit personalityless, which is obviously not a problem as a result of the booking that I saw happen um, at Backlash and in the build to Backlash. Uh, the problem has been that the WWE seems to have lost its its ability to book for his type of his type of guy because it's always in a fifty fifty booking environment, and sometimes if you want to create a credible heel, you can't do 50 50 booking and ultimately 
Lashley, he's on fucking fire at the moment. Um, and people say it's all MVP. Now it's it's booking that's done it. Um, but you know, you the give MVP and Lashley are gold together. They are fucking. And they were money. in TNA as well. There was an infraction with Kenny King and also Loki. Absolutely mm. fire. Yeah, I'm seeing. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Um, no, I'm. I'm excited to see where this angle goes um, overall and where Lashley goes over the next few months. Um, I don't want WWE to drop the ball on this one like they do so many times with big guys who who have a push, you know. And in three months' time, he's 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 winning the tag team title at fucking Survivor Series with fucking with fucking Eric the referee's son or whatever. I don't want to see that this time. <laughs> I want to see. Um, I want to see Lashley continue to be a credible threat into a WrestleMania, ideally, um, because it's a different type of threat from anything the WWE has booked in the last twenty years, um, other than Brock Lesnar, who's who's who just sits in his own little universe um, somewhere. Um, don't worry, that wasn't a flash forward to something. <laughs> I could I hear you stop breathing there for a second, um, but. <laughs> But no, no. Um, other than Brock Lesnar, who, who's kind of uh, he sits on his he sits in his own kind of area. But um, like Lashley, Lashley actually feels like a credible big man being booked by WWE for the first time since Eddie Guerrero was champ, and that to me is a very good thing. Um, and they need to carry on doing that and not masters it up. Yeah, the way they're going now with it, just keep going. Yeah. Um, so there was a botched Death Valley driver in the earlier part of the match. Um, yeah. From Lashley, um, that was probably the only poor, poor piece of showing from him. Um, and the lack of the "you fucked up" chant was jarring, but I can't imagine Vince approving that, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> so Lashley kept on stacking on McIntyre. There were repeated kickouts. Um, uh, usually at one by McIntyre, and I like that. That's like um, a good piece of booking again. That's rarely used outside of um, the Indies or New Japan Pro Wrestling um, because of WWE's fifty-fifty environment. Um, but it's a strong psychological tool when it's utilised well. Um, and obviously, the one kickout um, is is a really nice kind of gimmick for McIntyre to have. Um, how did you feel about the early early parts of this? Very well, I'm sure. Sorry, Dan was just telling me I'm his favorite mini cheddar. So yeah, Jay Jay lives with somebody called Dan. Um, and Jay is his favourite mini cheddar, apparently. So, apparently so. Bit of videoed British humour there for you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that. Um, so yeah, what were your thoughts on? Um, what were your thoughts on the whole um, start of the match? Oh, the whole start of the match. So again, they went back to face. Working his way up from the bottom, and the more powerful guy, even though Drew is probably same as strength, they they made him weaker than Lashley for this one. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, um, 
there were like Lashley kept on stacking on McIntyre, um, but I really like the kickouts at one um, by McIntyre as it's a good gimmick for someone to have um, as it's rarely used in a WWE 50-50 environment. Really strong psychological tool um, when utilised in Japanese wrestling and indie wrestling. And I just really enjoyed seeing WWE take take what is effectively an old trick um, and utilize it again um when they've spent so long kind of the last 30 years effectively um kind of making a kick out at one be a very very rare occurrence because everybody's Mm. always selling everything to to be oh it was always almost a three count Um, just to put them over yeah and in this in, in this instance i think it's the right thing to give to give um I keep on wanting to say Galway, but um, <laughs> McIntyre, of course. Um, I was interested by the tombstone tease from the McIntyre. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I was interested by the tombstone tease from um, Drew McIntyre. Yeah, um, that was he is, that was he is a... known to use that on the Indies. Yeah, um, it was well, it's, intre- more, it's more Jack Jester's move, which was his tag team partner in ICW. Oh, okay. Um, um, so yeah, they use it to his finishes all the time. So that maybe that was more of a nod to him. Okay, uh, that is that is interesting. Um, I was wondering about that. I knew that there would be a there would be an insider reference there, but I maybe wasn't privy to. But I was interested in because the reaction from the commentary team was um, um, was very much a kind of a no way, um, like you know, um, as Undertaker. if they. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. I, I didn't. Then Undertaker's move. Well, I knew they were wanting to reference something, um, so it must have been. It was definitely. I knew it was multi-layered when it happened. Um, yeah, whatever it was definitely. that was happening. So, um, the modified Kimura lock um, that reversed it was really interesting. Um, and the it kind of out of the two of them, I feel that Raw, um, especially the championship scene, seems to be the more kind of modern and influential, um, or the the more modern kind of influential is the wrong word but the more modern kind of um in almost indie influence style at the moment and i kind of like that it's not quite nxt but i quite like the style that they're going for at the moment especially on their on their on their title scene it's a fresh kind of look for it um especially because we spent so long watching roman reigns and um seth rollins kind of dominate it for many years um along with Along with repeated attempts to go against Brock Lesnar and and failures to do so, so, um, and then we get to the end. Do we get to the end of this match, Jay? We do. We, we Which get is the end of the Lana, where it all uh, kind of fell apart for me. Um, it made very little sense. So during the match, there was some fairly credible back and forths. It all made sense, and then Lana wanders down to the ring randomly after a great back and forth match, and 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 she decides to get on the apron at a completely inexplicable time and accuse the referee of cheating very loudly. It made absolutely no fucking sense. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It distracted Lashley and led to a claymore that then defeated Lashley. <sighs> As I say, for me, this was a clear case of great wrestling booking being interrupted by sports, poor sports entertainment booking. Um, what would have made more sense would have been for Lashley's kind of heavy style um, that he's been utilising um, to still have that back and forth moment, but Lana to occasionally be at ringside already, stood up as an MVP, and occasionally distracting Drew to help him get the upper hand. Do that two or three times, and then the fourth time, 
make it lash make it kind of going to the well too often and lashley be the one distracted um that would have made sense why they didn't do that considering that that's how valets have been doing the split up with the with the other one since sensational sherry i will never fucking know not fucking hard but just having him randomly walk down to the ring and accuse the referee of cheating what it's like she got to the ring and then just forgot her lines. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking that is what happened as well. But yeah, she said yeah. what she said. <laughs> yeah. The end was probably still going to be the same. So I, I guess job done. Yeah, I don't. I, it just fell a bit flat for me. So. But Lashley looked dominant in that match. Lashley looked really dominant, um, and it was a great match that put him over um, and kind of utilised the talent that they had on hand and the build that they had in order to take him from a bubbling under mid-carder to a top spot performer, as far as I'm concerned. About time. Yeah. (laughs) They're saying this so long. About time. This is happening. So, anything else you got to say about this match? It was refreshing. Yeah, I, for me, for, for me, this was the match of the card. Um, nearly, nearly the match of the card. It wasn't the greatest match ever, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> it was pretty damn good. Um, and for a WWE pay per view match, I wasn't disappointed. Um, Private Party versus the War Experience. I really shouldn't have written it down as Private Party. Um, that was just a joke that I was laughing to myself. But um, Street, Street Profits versus Viking Raiders. Um, uh, Jay, yeah. how are you, how are you finding these backstage bits? Like since like Money in the Bank. There's too many now. So for me, you need to rein it back. Do you mind if I? Do you mind if we indulge me for a minute? Do you, do you mind? No, that's um, fine. Yeah, cool. Um, so I want to talk um, directly to Mister Dunn um, of WWE um, and Vince McMahon, who's who's slowly whispering sweet nothings in his ear um, as I kind of move into uh, uh, something that I would like to call. Um, where are we? Where's my? Where's my? Um, ah, there it is. Something that I would like to call. I've lost my. I've lost my. Oh, there it is. Um, it's called "Look What You've Done." It's my new segment where I teach Done how to do things correctly. So here we go. This is my new segment, everybody. This is. It's going to have a theme. It's going to have a. Let's let's get a theme together. Let's let's do that. There we go. Oh, look what you've done. There we go. There we go. That's um that that that's my theme for it. So I'm happy with that. Anyway, anyway, I want to talk about diegetics and wrestling. Um, so if you're not sure what diegetics are, um, diegetic is the narrative perspective of a story. Um, so in sound design, a diegetic sound is a sound that is happening um, that is happening within the physical universe of whatever it is you're listening to. So a great example. Our podcast stayed diegetic um, for its first um, six months um, in that the audience's perspective was that of the recording device that I used in order to record this. Um, 
at one point I jumped into a spaceship and off I went and that was the first time we used non-diegetic music which is where there was a soundtrack in the background um, as I was doing that um, the following episode of this podcast um, or the two episodes down we then took um, we then took a perspective of a recording that was happening in 1988 and everything that happened in that episode happened diegetically on the recording materials and the machinery that was happening um, that, were, that was being used to record that episode and that was that was kind of the theme the only piece that didn't do that was when we finally went back to the future at which point there was that piece of there was that piece of digestive music and that kind of now that got you into that perspective that sensical diegetics um so that will be the difference between a diegetic and a non-diegetic sound in wrestling you're very much working from a diegetic perspective as well because you're looking through the cameras um the cameras are in the arena and all of these things kind of happen so i suppose the question that wwe are asking themselves or need to ask themselves is why did the undertaker and aj styles work so well why did the Firefly Funhouse work so well? And why now is the Money in the Bank ladder match? And um, obviously, this private party street street is um, this private this street profits um, match um, not work so well. Um, and I want to I want to take you an example of um, the Undertaker and AJ just to just to start us off here. Um, you don't mind me just going off on one here, do you, Jay? Gives you five minutes to relax, I guess. <laughs> so, um, where is my folder? I had all the sounds queued up. Here we go, Dijax. Right. Okay. So here's this. Here's the Undertaker and AJ Styles fighting in the graveyard in the Boneyard match. Okay. <laughs> so I want everyone to notice that the background music here. It's just ambient sound. So it's not heavy music, but notice how it describes perfectly the di- the perspective of both of the performers. And that's kind of my point there. Di- diegetically, this is a pe- this is a medium which I would call um which is known as um heterodiegetic. Um sorry, homodiegetic, in that somebody within this piece is the perspective of the of the non-diegetic stuff. So in this case, we're hearing the soundtrack as the undertake, uh, Undertaker takes it. In fact, the only time when you hear any chords in that piece is when the Undertaker appears behind AJ Styles. Start this thing up. Yeah. Yeah. He's starting his tractor. There's the Undertaker appearing behind him. What the you've gone and fucked it now? Exactly. So, the music in that piece is entirely from the Undertaker's perspective. Um, already, we're occupying the Undertaker's world as well. 
Um, so from a directorial perspective, we don't need commentators because we're seeing it through The Undertaker and AJ's lens all the way through. And obviously, the use of that soundtrack, um, one of the best soundtracks in TV, um, or one of the, what is considered one of the best soundtracks in TV, is the soundtrack to Breaking Bad. And they actually, they actually borrow from that um, during possibly, in my opinion, one of the best moments of WrestleMania, which is The Undertaker's um, moment with AJ here. Um, <laughs> Just feel the threat. Still want to talk? Hey, what's my wife's name? You remember her name now? Huh? You remember? <coughs> okay, won't you tell me how old I am? This gonna hurt my legacy? Uh, stay with me, boy. Stay with me. We're not done yet. We're just getting started. You know what you told me? Yeah, we're just uh, we're just getting started here, buddy. Come here. Come here. Come on over here. So for me, the brilliance of that is that AJ has entered the Undertaker's world. All of the directorial cues are taken from the fact that AJ is in his world. Um, the music, everything. Um, now, it follows the Undertaker, and the Undertaker is the person going through the, the redemption arc, and the soundtrack is almost directed by the Undertaker and perfectly describes his mood, as it were. Um, Firefly Funhouse episode, I'm not going to play your clips. I did have some cued, but I've just realised how, how long all of this is. Um, but the Firefly Funhouse, that was even cleverer, because John Cena, he is the perspective that the audience is following however the die the diegetic lens through which that all happens is bray wyatt because he's the director of the world everything that john cena sees is directed by bray wyatt um and the reaction to john cena in in his in his vocal pieces all of those kind of things He's met with silence in a lot of occasions there. There's no need for a soundtrack in the background or any of that kind of pissing about. The only person who has a soundtrack and is directing the soundtrack is Bray Wyatt. And that, to me, is why that was so effective. Um, and again, I, I, I could queue up sounds to do that, but I, I feel that we're taking up a lot of time with this. Okay, so they both have perfectly logical, diegetic perspectives. When it started going wrong was in the Money in the Bank ladder match because at that point there's no lens through which the audience is seeing their eyes. There's no John Cena, there's no, there's no Bray Wyatt. They're not occupying that world. They're occupying the WWE world at that point. And if there is no kind of diegetic lens, if there is no Undertaker or Bray Wyatt or similar to kind of stylize the piece that you're watching, the only message that those musical cues are giving is how Vince McMahon and... Um, Dunn is it Stephen Dunn Peter Dunn David Kevin Dunn? Dunn Kevin Dunn that's it uh, is how Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon think it's going to land which of course leads to um, situations like um, this. oh yeah 
Oh yeah, ha 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 ha. Otis is eating nuts because he's a fat guy. He's eating nuts because he's a fat guy. Oh, that's so funny. And oh, 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 who's that? Oh my God, it's John Laurinaitis. I I've missed him. He's so awesome. He's the best. And I I can't believe how long it's been since I've seen him. Isn't he wonderful? Oh, oh, he's. Cook for Jeremy Borish. Oh wow, he's just so fucking amazing. He looks so fucking great. Oh wow. Oh, he got pushed off. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, here's somebody who's sweeping something. Oh, he's he's mopping the floor. Oh, someone's chasing somebody through it. I bet he wasn't expecting that from his day. Oh, what a wacky place it must be to work in WWE. Must be so crazy. Oh, oh, she slipped on his mopped up floor and banged the back of her head. Isn't that crazy? Oh, now the camera is inexplicably switching to a completely different place where a bunch of women are going to fight. And the soundtrack stays exactly the same, so it doesn't anchor us in any kind of mood or tone and it's completely inconsistent. And now they're all fighting like they're in a real wrestling match, even though they've just done a comedy spot with no real diegetic cuts in between them. This doesn't make any fucking sense and I feel like I'm being patronised. And that's why it doesn't work. I think that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> um, but AEW kind of avoid this. Um, they played absolutely no music during their recent um, Double or Nothing stadium match, yet they still managed to have um, subjective... Um, subjective kind of out of this world experiences with Matt Hardy they managed to do a fucking western bar fight without going into the stock library and just playing any old shit that Jim Johnston played into a fucking piano for 25 years ago because they've got it in on mp3 you know they didn't need to do any of that because the commentators were there and this was the same with NXT it's fine to stylize the visuals, but if you are removing the commentary in order to put a lackluster, not quite film soundtrack on something, sound is very much a medium that's supposed to tell us the emotions that we're supposed to be feeling. And if you haven't latched that sound on consistently to one of the performers in the piece, then automatically the audience is going to be hearing the soundtrack that the direct from the director's perspective and it's going to mean that every single time you miss with that soundtrack as they did frequently in the money in the bank ladder match and with this giant pile of turd um from the viking raiders and street profits then it doesn't work and that's the problem they need to keep it using it sparingly and they need to do it from the perspective of somebody who has a diegetic anchor in that piece if they're not going to use commentary. But NXT have got it right. AEW have got it right. WWE are failing and it just reeks of Vince McMahon saying, I know why Jeremy Borash works and just completely missing the mark. Yes, he is. I mean, if you see Jeremy Borash's stuff, it's worked with Matt Hardy in, in TNA with Broken. Um, yeah, I, I actually went back and watched that. Um, when I had the TNA network um, for that. Yeah. Just fucking phenomenal. And again, 
it works on the Hardy compound because that is the Hardy's world. So all of the music, all of the kind of stylistic choices in the direction, it reeks of the Hardys and it feels like the Hardys because you're not viewing it from the perspective of a sports cast. You're viewing it from the perspective of the character in it. And you can't have your cake and eat it too by putting on this this shitty soundtrack in the background and trying to tell the story from everyone's perspective. Because stylistically, you just end up with a mess. Um, three dream sequences, this had. Yeah, bit of an overkill. I mean, overall, it was an alright comedy segment. I mean, it's watchable, but... Wouldn't it go went back and watch it again. Went on way too long, and now why is Kurosawa a weird ninja? What's going on? So yeah, Kurosawa appears as a weird ninja, and it seems that the story is supposed to be um, so. Street profits and um, the Viking experience have been having this anything you can do, I can do better rivalry. Eventually, they unify to um, to face um, an otherwise insurmountable threat. Um, it's a fairly standard story arc, but. Did it need telling? I mean, no, probably really. not bef- not before Survivor Series. It didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I could have, I could have, I could have understood it if this had been well, told. They played basketball. They threw some axes. Yeah, I mean, they if that's turkey. if that's what they were going for, it's fine. But I don't know. It's to me, I feel as an audience member, I'm being patronised. And they didn't that. even have the match. No, they didn't. So, all in all, bit of a shame. Still, and what was the octopus in the bin? What was that about? Oh, it was a reference to Star Wars. Oh yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, this is the other problem as well. In that, previously, the backstage has always been kind of an area that's that's kind of that's what's really going on is is the language that we've been given from wrestling for a very long time and then i mean obviously we made some concessions for the invisible cameraman who uh, who were seemingly prevalent during the um, 90s and noughties um you know two people having a private conversation that's being recorded by a cameraman and pre- just pretending the cameraman's not there that happened quite a bit um speaking of invisible cameramen um <laughs> they got in touch with the union and used them in the next match but uh, regardless <laughs> um yeah for me it was it just fell flat. Um, it was just somebody doing a tick list of what's funny. Um, and it was all just very poor reference comedy. It didn't have any any artistic reason to be portrayed how it was. And it was diegetically flawed. It was a hard-hitting affair. <laughs> Shall we move on? Unless you've got anything else to say about that. But for me, it was dog shit. <laughs> So, <laughs> you went all around that. <laughs> just about dog shit, mate. Move on. Well, I, I just wanted to say that my big problem, I just feel that it's doing the performers a disservice um, because right. you're doing it perfectly on the Batlock Brawl, for instance. That was perfect. There was no was background match. music. What? Absolutely terrible. Hate it. Really? Yeah. I've totally enjoyed it. It's the worst battle of Brawl I've seen in WWE. Very, 
tame. Oh yeah, it was tame. It was tame, but as an actual match, it was fairly fairly well put together. Um, what was and there a utilized ring? The... Huh? huh? Why was there a ring? Because why not? I don't know, Jay. It's wrestling. It doesn't always use logic. <laughs> Um, uh, from my perspective at least it was directed well i suppose is is the thing um like then it's on the wrestlers themselves um as a match it was kind of forgettable you're entirely right um the stadium match as well um at double or nothing that was also fairly forgettable um overall and full of loads of being the elite references and in jokes but at least it had segments that worked um and i suppose that like the comedy segments worked there and it was because they had commentary giving us that diegetic window into it because it, obviously they were telling the story from the commentator's perspective um, and that's fine and they didn't have to put loads of unrealistic nonsensical music over it just because The Undertaker and Bray Wyatt can have it just detracts from those matches I feel <sighs> sorry I've done 20 minutes on that so let's move on thank you for the insight you're welcome. Now, if only we could get Kevin Dunn to listen to this. Hashtag Kevin Dunn. Exactly. Let, get in touch with Kevin Dunn, make him listen to our podcast, um, and learn a few things about not being a cunt. So, moving on. The greatest match of all time. The first question you ask is, was it the greatest match of all time? Was no. it the greatest match ever? No, it wasn't. Um, was so, it too long? Probably. Probably. Was yeah. there too many false falls? Probably. Why was there that weird pedigree rock bottom segment? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, precursor to this match, um, I was quite surprised when they went for this, but um, just go back to the well on the samples just for a moment. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be fair to the competitors in this next match if it wasn't performed in front of thousands of people. Yeah, so therefore, Edge versus Randy Orton will be an event unlike anything you have ever seen before. WWE is going to enhance your viewing experience using a variety of production techniques, including unique camera angles and amplified audio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what we believe will be the greatest wrestling match ever. Um, so with all of those extras, Jay, let's talk about them for a moment. How do you think they did? So the amplified audio. Just, just, um, just the Roman Reigns crowd noise, isn't it? Well, you had the bits <laughs> where Randy Orton was whispering into Edge's ear, which you couldn't hear anyway. Mm. Which I think was meant to be a part of the amplified noise. Yeah. Didn't work. Um, you had the crowd noise. Didn't mind me. the camera angles. Um, see, I found the camera angles really jarring because the, the first one for me was the one with the whole um, the two of them grappling, and then all of a sudden the camera's directly under them, giving us a nice shot of their abs. Which, to be fair, I put that in the bank, but at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but at the same time. There's no possible way they could have got that camera angle without having to pre-shoot it, which immediately oh, took yeah. me out of it. 
you know so immediately in my head i'm doing that um i suppose the, so the crowd noises was really was it was a strange one the crowd noises um i mean it's most noticeable um in edge's intro i'm um, just going to give you an example of that just while we're doing it He's Oh. oh shit um yeah so sorry 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 yeah um th sorry that was from 2k18 um sorry um my my bad um yeah no um let's uh sorry it sounded more like this you think you know me Questions sent around the brain of Edge. Lots of self-doubt that has been sown by Randy Orton. Joe, how does Edge put that all aside? Yeah, completely different. Completely different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, completely different. It's yeah. not at all like... Um, it's not at all kind of really, really strange to see three people make that kind of noise um, in any way, shape or form. They... The other great crowd noise all the time anyway, so it's nothing new. Um, well, well it, the they, they, they do, but they've not used it before in this environment. Like in the performance center environment, when there's like twenty people there, they've not they've not amped in an entire fucking. They've not amped in an entire. I'm gonna go to just listen to this. Knee oh, right to the midsection by Orton. <laughs> Oh, now look at Edge. Oh, there's no escaping to Orton, though. Edge underneath the bottom rope, wait, tries wait, to slide wait, back in, trying to catch Orton. Oh! oh, 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 oh. And Edge baited the Viper. This time it was Edge who would outsmart Randy Orton. Shades of the master manipulator at work. Like, for me, too much. Like, I don't know. Just seeing it happen in the performance center, and then them just just putting this this uh, this white noise generation of like literally just two K fucking eighteen soundtrack just going over it. Um, there was a point where Randy Orton got got just booze, and the booze just sounded too canned, and all of those kind of things. It didn't add anything. Like. This is a match that is severely up its own arse. And I don't like it as a direction that WWE is going. And I can very much imagine, now that they've seen it, Vince McMahon saying, I love it, I run in every match. I can just see it happening. What if they start doing that every single match? I might just stop watching. Hmm. We'll just have um, to... I think I've said this before, I'll start watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the amount of times we've said that we would we would stop watching on this show, to be fair. Um, overall, the match was all right. There was there was a good back and forth between them. It told a fairly good story, um, but I suppose I, I I think I probably said it to you best in my text where I said that they sh like um, they but the crowd noises 
didn't annoy me as much as I think it did you. Um, it didn't necessarily annoy me. I think the thing was the actual crowd noise when it was just kind of normal, um, like just kind of just reacting a little bit. That kind of got me, um, and I was quite happy with that. Um, it made it feel a bit bigger in my brain. My brain was just a sh- my brain had gone into this weird thing where even I knew that even though I knew there wasn't a crowd there, it kept on just imagining there being a crowd behind the yeah, hard cam. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that kind of worked quite nicely. Um, but um, in, in fact, in a way, that kind of reminds me as a, of um, some of the progress stuff at the um, Brixton Academy. Um, so that's where my mind actually went with it because obviously they do a similar thing. They have the wrestling ring on the stage and then people kind of sat in an audience around around it. But yeah, and that, that's where my brain went. But overall, I, I, it was when the fans were reacting and it was a boo or it was a cheer or it was them getting behind a hope spot or something like that. And that's where it started to feel really quite inorganic for me. Um, because it did feel a bit too canned, and the reaction felt a little bit too unnatural. The fact, like a real audience, have moods, and you know, certain spots of the match they could boo less for something or or cheer more. But this stayed at a constant volume. Every single boo, um, every single large boo, sounded exactly the same and was of the same volume and same veracity, um, and the same with the cheers as well. And for me, it just kind of grated after a while. possibly to the point where it detracted from the match for me. Um, for me, the match didn't really take any away from it. All this added okay. stuff. I don't think it did that. To it just felt a bit unnecessary, I suppose, to me. It was unnecessary, though. It didn't take away from it, but it was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they still could have had the same match without anything to do with all this added noise and camera angles and it still would have been a very good match yeah but to bid it as the greatest wrestling match of all time it's obnoxious yeah it is obnoxious um i suppose i think i think the biggest piece for me that and, and obnoxious is right um was the ring announcement um and i promise you before we finish this show this is the last sample i'm going to play but kind of feel I have to now because um, this was obnoxious um, although I do like the use of how things Ladies and gents this is the moment you've waited for The following contest is scheduled for one fall Introducing first from St. Louis, Missouri, weighing 240 pounds Randy Remember, we're, we're looking at a, a, a performance center with 20 Toronto, people. Toronto, Canada, weighing 240 pounds. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Okay, yeah, so that was ridiculous. All understood there, but Edge played up to it. Yeah, Edge Edge did that far away look thing, like he was looking and saying, "Look how many people are definitely here." Mm. And it was kind of like, 
Yeah, too much. Um, I like the use of the of the old school blue mat. Um, I like the use of the um, of the referee in old school attire. But then when they went out and started ramming each other through the tables like it was any other match, um, it kind of all just lost it. I would have liked to have seen this match just stay in the ring. Hold me, hold my attention for forty-five minutes. Both stay in that ring. I don't think that either of those wrestlers, with all due respect to them, and they're both fucking legends, are capable of it. And I think the only only wrestler on their entire was very Kenny Omega versus Okada one, two, three, and four. Yeah, <laughs> you're entirely right. You're entirely right, and and they can keep your attention for over an hour. Yeah. Now. Tyler Bate versus Jack Gallagher. They could stay in the ring for 45 minutes and keep every single fucker mm-hmm. there entertained. And WWE could legitimately call that the best wrestling match ever coming out of it because it would probably be the best wrestling match, pure wrestling match they'd ever put on their fucking screen. But this, it just tonally didn't sit nicely with me. And the use of the Xbox sound effects wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. Xbox. Okay. <laughs> uh, right then. Um, any other thoughts? All in all, how would you rate this pay per view? Worth I'd watching? I give I give it an eight. Yeah, eight out of ten. This, this on um, the Meltzer scale. This is just on a on, a, on an actual scale. An actual oh, wow. scale. Fucking hell. Aren't we coming down to earth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, yeah. No, I'd, I'd I'd give it a solid kind of seven and a half. Yeah, yeah. I'd say seven and a half, um, just because I felt that that last match would have been better. Like honestly, I felt that last match would have even been better if they'd have just done it in like a shed. <laughs> than what they actually added to it. If they'd have just put it in a shed and just had and had no audience and literally just treated it like a proper old school indie match in how they built it, that would have been fine. But this to me it just reeked of pretension. So all in all, definitely not the greatest wrestling match ever. No. Um it was a good match. It was a WrestleMania caliber match. And oh, yeah, possibly sure. one of the possibly one of the better matches in lockdown. Um, but you're right, obnoxious is the word, um, and that's the trap. Every time you say down. within lockdown, I always go back to TNA lockdown. <laughs> uh, well, it probably probably beat some of the matches that happened on 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 the hollow ground of TNA as well. Well for you, yeah. Hollywood ground. Yeah, it's hollow ground, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, TNA fanboy, right here. <laughs> you love it. You you like it more than you like ROH, mate. At the time, yeah. But then at ROH the was still putting on some pretty good matches at that point as well. <laughs> but then they had AJ Styles. I mean, not much of a mark I am for AJ Styles. Um, yeah, I hear that you're a massive fan of um, all all sorts of things that he does and parts of his body <laughs> particularly his hair and his beard apparently oh his beard lovely 
Um, I think that's us. I don't know why that's so loud. It wasn't meant to be that loud. Oh, it's because I'm turning turning the volume down on the wrong player. There we go. Alright then, so... Anything else we need to say at this stage, Jay? Beard and Bear Power Hour is back. I think we're... I think we're killing it, mate. Smashing it out the park. Indeed, indeed. Um, you guys can always get in contact with us at anchor.fm forward slash jfabe. Um, please feel free to pass this on to your friends. Um, let us let them know about us. We will be producing a lot more content now that we're coming out of lockdown um, for you guys to listen to on the public transport whilst you're wearing your face mask and keeping a safe social distance from others or going to um, going to your various protests, I suppose. Um, in addition to that, <laughs> um, yeah, no, seriously, Black Lives Matter, and we've been we've been really kind of on it with that so um, just want to say people take care of yourselves um, do do a lot more of that um, everyone stop being dicks to each other um, and let's get through this all together um, and come up with some solutions um, yeah at the end of the day we're all human we are we are we are just, just let that sit yeah with, with the theme that we chose Jay chose this theme he did a really good job um, <laughs> cheers Jay um, this is of oh, course hello my sorry. name is it's hello my name is human by what's the name again highly suspect highly suspect thank you very much um, I'm an absolute fan after listening to this on Jay's recommendation um, give them a listen they they need our help guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean some of that stuff's good but some of it's a bit I don't know mate I'm not sure about that well, if that makes any we, sense <laughs> we definitely thank them for um, well now we can actually play it because we're playing it in the background now but we're also critiquing it so technically that's fair use so we don't even have to thank them now um, <laughs> so yeah screw you guys so we're, we're in the just, legal right we're just gonna take that thank you back <laughs> yeah 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 fuck yeah all of you uh, also um, also of course you've heard today Run the Jewels um, in the background of the Paul Heyman skit um, and the shit we used from the WWE network is all claimed as fair use we're keeping it as legal as we possibly can at the moment um, because why the fuck not that may change um, yeah it's definitely going to change <laughs> Um, please get in contact with us on Twitter that is at not a time duke for myself um, there is the jfade podcast that is at jfade podcast surprisingly and of course um, at I am not a robot that is robot spelt zero zero um, at the end that is ro- robot r zero b zero t um, yeah so there's that um, that's Jay by the way if you if you got oh, that's all that me, everybody yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Mitch. Um, you've been with us since the beginning, mate. Um, Mitchy boy. Good times, hard times, um, obviously. Um, raising a hand to the guys in the Retardis who are currently taking a knee. Um, so keep safe up there, guys. And yeah, that's about it, isn't it, Jay? What else is there left to say apart from being and bear out? Being and bear out keep safe guys oh and stay tuned for a word from our sponsors at the end of this
you know, this match can be won by pinfall, submission, countout, or disqualification. There will be no hair pulling, no eye gouging, no choking, and no low blows. Shake if you wish, and come out wrestling. The moment has arrived. Randy Orton versus Edge at Backlash. This is the greatest wrestling match ever. Here we go. A superstar gets a certain feeling when he knows there's a strong possibility he may exit the match in a completely different condition than he entered. That's not exactly a comforting thought when it's your career. And man, I never get tired of watching these guys compete. Randy Orton has found an answer here. Randy Orton has found an answer here. Take a moment to talk about Edge. What, in your opinion, can the WWE Universe expect from him here? Hey, he's a WWE superstar, which means he's among the very best to lace a pair of boots. Greatest wrestling match ever.